Welcome to the midweek Mission Ridge podcast known as Footnotes. Footnotes is here to give you some of the stuff that we didn't have time to cover in the sermon and encourage you to dig in deeper as you study the text. So let's dive in and check out what's in the footnotes. Welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Glad to have you with us this week. Uh, It's just me and Rob in the office today. Just the two of us. We sing that song a lot. I know, too often, too often. (laughs) We need to get more people on here. There you go. Brandon had the wrong day off. He had yesterday off. We got to do uh, breakfast and and projects and stuff. Well, we we should have just done footnotes yesterday with him. If we would have been on the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon, I'm sorry. We failed you. You are Tove Mayo, my friend. Uh, and we are less than Tove Mayo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we haven't taught about that. They don't know what that means. Well, they'll figure it out. What did you say about it? Why'd you call me a toad? What? Oh, anyway. Uh, Yeah, let's see here. Do you have any shortcomings? Did I screw up anything? I don't think I screwed up anything too badly. Uh, I think you were pretty on target yesterday. Yeah, I did all right. Did all right. Um, which was it was a, that was actually a challenge with this one because there's the I think we're gonna run into this a lot during Genesis. There's a lot to talk about, or that you could talk about, um, but figuring out and discerning where we actually want to go with it, I think, will be a an interesting uh, adventure to. To, to listen in on slash watch slash observe or whatever wherever you at wherever you are in the the spectrum on that one but uh and nothing too I don't think I dropped any too big a heresies uh I got a couple of shocked looks when I said that the Bible was not a scientific textbook hmm. uh, I got a couple of a couple of those ha huh faces for a couple of things and we're gonna talk about a couple of those things that brought up uh Actually, I think we're going to talk about two of at least two of the three uh, that brought that up today, uh, and dig into those a little bit more, and just kind of push the conversation forward a little bit. So, I'm looking forward to this series. I think it's going to be good. It's going to be good to approach this book with some fresh ears, mm-hmm. and um, you know the story. The story's good. Mm-hmm. God, God tells a good story. And it's um, it's worth paying attention to. But we, you know, I, you know, I, I love what Aaron Couch says. You know, the Aaron, the Aaron of today doesn't agree with the Aaron of yesterday. And we're, if, uh, if we are, Growing in an understanding of uh, infinite God, then we gotta be comfortable with the fact that we got infinite growth. We have infinite growth. Yeah. Yeah. The minute I got, the minute I have God figured out and can put him into a box, oh man, I'm about to get wrecked by him. Usually, that's usually what comes right before that. So yeah, good stuff. All right, so uh, first thing we want to talk about, and I opened up the sermon with this, was East versus West. East versus West. That, that, I practiced saying that a couple of times because it always came out East versus West. <laughs> East versus West. Anyway, uh, I speak good. So uh, this is going to be a 
really important aspect of our Genesis conversation, as I said, and we wanted to expand on this a little bit, help give you some maybe directions uh, that you can be looking or things to be considering. Um, I mentioned back to the Bible Basics series uh, in that we did in January of last year, we talked about this, and I think we broke that down into a couple of different uh, categories. We had East versus West was, I think, a sermon. We talked about geographical context. We talked about maybe spiritual disciplines in there, um, something like that. Uh, but specifically in the East versus West, there was a couple of different things to be aware of. Uh, I used the example of looking in through a shack through different windows, um, which is a pretty good analogy uh, to kind of get your brain percolating in that direction. But one of the other things that I probably I, I could have mentioned, maybe should have mentioned, um, is they have some wildly different views on truth, um, which we in the West, we view truth as kind of static, would be the way to probably describe it as being, um, you know, this black and white, two and two is four, right? Every single time. And if we're looking at truth in an Eastern context, and I'm still I'm still wrestling with this because I, I, I don't like looking at things this way, but they look at it as more of, I, I don't want to say that it's fluid because if I say that truth is fluid, then that leads us to this new agey, all truth is relative, like your truth and my truth, they're both true, but your truth can be true for you, right? Sure. And that's that's not necessary that's not what they're that's not what they're getting at. It's more of a the truth isn't unfolding. Does that seem like a fair way to say that maybe? Um Which which means that what we learn about God in in Genesis one is true. Mm-hmm. But it's not everything there is to know about God. Yep. And so you need Genesis two, you need Genesis three, you need Genesis four, you need Genesis five, you need all of Torah, you need the prophets, you need the gospels, you need the the wise sayings, you need the book of Job. Mm-hmm. You need the history books and um, you know First and Second Chronicles and and they need the writings of the apostles and and we need we need all of that. It's unfolding. Well, and, and the other thing is, it's still as it unfolds. It's not. It doesn't. It's not erasing it and saying like, oh no, that Genesis one was untrue, because, well, now we have Genesis three, right? That would be a common, mm. like, oh, well, it was good, and then, and now it's not, and then, now we're on to Genesis three, and th- and then later on we get to you know Romans, and oh, okay, so now this is we just replace it. The unfolding doesn't get rid of what we already know, and if we start with Genesis one, and then we work our way through Genesis, and then we work our way through the Old Testament, this this picture of God deepens, and it still includes that first piece that we get in Genesis 1. And if you have to throw out that first piece of Genesis 1 to have this new understanding, if you will, 
well, you got an issue and you probably need to reconsider that. Um, and this is, this is a pretty common thing that we, we run into in the, the American church at least, is we like to start with, uh, I think you, you were saying this yesterday to me, we like to start with Romans. We like to start with Paul. And then we work our way back to Jesus and the Gospels. And then maybe if we have time, we work our way back to the Old Testament, right? Yeah. Is that, yeah. How, is that how you put that? That's how I put that. You know, it's interesting because um, we, you know, what I was taught in Bible school, to, you know, and in my some of my first church experiences, the way you share the gospel is through Romans Road, which is Romans three twenty three six twenty three five eight. Uh, th- there's a couple more, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it all starts in Romans. And why isn't that the first book of the Bible then? Well. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I've wrestled with this because I've thought, oftentimes thought about, you know, we know that Jesus is sharing the gospel. We know that the apostles, through the book of Acts, share the gospel. I mean, that's what we're told. Mm-hmm. And yet when we share the gospel, we don't go back to the language and, you know, the, uh, the when we see a sermon by Peter or by... Stephen, um, what we what we see is them talk about Israel's history and experience with with God, mm-hmm. you know, through the patriarchs and and all that. And um, you know, so one when they were sharing the gospel, they were they were dealing with a biblically literate community. We're not, oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, the Book of Romans was had not been written. Sure. And so, you know, what were they talking about? What were what was the key message there? And and, and I think, you know, the the first few words of Genesis is in the beginning, God. It seems like a good place to start. It seems like in the beginning, it would be a good place to start. So if going back a couple of years when I would have when I'd work with people through our benevolence program in Moscow and if I was sitting down with someone and I was going to share the gospel with them I would start with Genesis and I would talk about Genesis 1 and and then, and also talk about Genesis 3 and the impact and and then move on into the mm-hmm. gospels and Jesus and Because it's all, I mean, th- that's that's the thing there is this is all just one big narrative, one big story of God and his people, which we've been grafted into. So, you, I mean, there's nothing wrong with jumping in halfway through the movie. Still going to get good stuff out of it. But you might be a little confused on some points. Well, we've all walked into a conversation before and went, whoa, 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 wait, what are we talking about, right? Because... Sure. Because we miss a key component of the conversation, we're going, "Oh, I had a completely different picture." You sure, know, you guys are scaring me a little bit. <laughs> Logan, why are you talking about cooking humans? <laughs> what? You know, there's that. You know, and then 
even using your story again of, you know, looking into a shack and one person looks through one window, another person looks through another window. If I take two of my children mm-hmm. who think differently, just as people. Sure. Uh, cause, because as what you're bringing out today is that there's some different in, in, in the way the Easterners typically process information. Yeah. Uh, the way they think about truth, the way they, uh, what values that they hold yep. as primary and sure, you know, we've um, talked about this with how they view numbers. There, there's a qualitative aspect to numbers as opposed to just quantitative, right? Yes. Um, we've talked about. I don't know if we've actually used this analogy before. This is one of my favorite, though. Uh, if you set a frog down in front of a Westerner and you say, tell me everything there is to know about this frog. Well, the Westerner is going to want to dissect the frog and tell you about how the frog works and its genus and species and, and you know, what it eats and where it blah, 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 all of this facts, figures, and, you know, diagnose the frog, which is fine. Sure. All good info. And I've, I've heard it said that the Easterner, you plop this frog down and the Easterner is going to want to tell you, you know, about his family or you know who's the frog dating or <laughs> what what type of foods does the frog you know prefer <laughs> you know it's just it's this very like they just they look at it completely differently sure um in this they're going to tell you the story of the frog as opposed to just break down the frog into its parts you know leadership seminars that we've been going to the last few years there's typically this component on culture and if and more and more, when you're, in particular in the business world, you're dealing with these diverse cultures and whether this year they looked at uh, diversity within generations and, mm-hmm. and you know, how we talk about technology and, and, and those kinds of things, what, um, what the millennials value... And Gen Z, you know, versus you know mm-hmm. boomers and and uh, you know my my son has brought it up that you know he was working seventy hours a week in Moscow and he came here and he's like, I am not putting myself in that situation where I'm working seventy hours a week. Like he values his time off. He values community in a way that my generation sure. didn't. Not that my generation doesn't value time off in community but but there's a shift now and so when we're reading the scriptures we need to know what the emotional sure impact of those words would have so when we're talking east versus west we don't want you to get the impression that we're saying like, oh, this is bad. Throw out all of your Greek thinking and logic. Like, no, there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's not it's not good versus bad or right versus wrong. It's it's different. Yep. And it's we want to we want to open up this conversation of how can we gain a better perspective, a more complete perspective, maybe. Right. Um, would be instead of saying a better perspective, look at me. Look at me giving it a, a qualitative or a quantitative, like right versus wrong, just just right there. But a more complete perspective 
on these stories that we're reading? You know, I've, I've traveled quite a bit and been around lots of different languages. And what I've heard is when you could tell a joke in another language, you really understand the people. You know, that's ironic, Rob, because a lot of your jokes don't land in English. So, <laughs> zing. <laughs> well, you know, I don't tell my jokes for you. I tell them for me. And I'm not worried someday you will catch up. <laughs> nice comeback. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, I, and man, I, I've... I think I've told you the story of being in when I was in Germany on Fat Tuesday. Oh yeah, yeah. It's their version. What, what we call Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras. They call uh, Fasching. Yep. And I, it was just interesting to me because here we were in our jeans and our sneakers and our t-shirts and our jackets because it's February, and they're showing up in their slacks and their dress shoes and their tweed, you know, and like dressed dressed to the nines. Dressed to the nines comparatively. I mean yeah, like yeah. just like very classy and and but they're speaking German and sometimes I can tell what they're saying. Sometimes I can't. I just man, I, I so wanted to be able to acclimate and hmm. you know, just be able to hear and and to experience at that next level just a better depth you know like i was able to enjoy this world-class event right i call it a world-class party like they're <laughs> it's a world-class like this community is coming together and they're celebrating mm-hmm. i was able to enjoy it to to a certain degree sure but because i didn't know the language and even if I would have understood German, there still probably would have been nuances that I wouldn't have picked up on just because I didn't understand the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's what we're talking about. Take the time, consider the context, consider language, consider... S- the story and how it's being told and the tools that are being used and telling of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, consider all those things. And the basic reading is the basic reading. Yep. In the beginning, God. All right. In the beginning, God. That's, I can get that. That's the thing that, like, if we don't, if we don't come to grips with those four words... First and foremost, like the rest of what whatever it is we find in in understanding context and sure. looking at the literary tools and looking at repetition of words because it's a simple language, and so they make something complex through simple language, you know, mm-hmm. through structure. If we don't come to grips with that basic reading, like we we need to start there, but don't don't end there. Yep. Yep. So speaking of language, I mentioned allegory. Now, this one definitely got a face from some people because allegory, we think of fiction. Right. 
right? So if, if you think back to your back to your English days, uh, allegory is tied to fiction a lot of times because it's a it's it most often used in fiction. So you're telling some sort of story, and you're using it to make a point. Uh, we were talking about some examples that of of things that people might be familiar with that include a lot of allegory. Um, Animal Farm, right? One that a lot of us had to read, or at least my generation for sure had to read in high school. Um, <clears throat> you know, this is the story of this all these animals on a farm, thus the name, hmm. um, and it's using it to provide commentary on communism, right? And there's all of this, all of this commentary that's underlying beneath this fictitious you know, the surface level fiction story. Sure. Lord, Lord of Flies. Lord of the Flies. That's another huge one. Chronicles of Narnia. That would be religious allegory. Mm-hmm. So C.S. Lewis writes this, this story about a lion and a witch and a wardrobe and these, these children, right? And beneath it, he's providing this, this subtext of, well, Aslan is actually a Christ figure and Edmund is a Judas figure and the witch is actually the devil, right? And we, and we break this down this way and we can, we can look into it and it gives us, there's something about how we hear stories that that helps me connect with the actual story of Christ and have a better understanding. Right. You know, this, this is, this is super con like most of your favorite stories whether it be you know Lord of the Rings or C.S. Lewis or The Matrix or whatever insert whatever your favorite movie book graphic novel, there's gonna be allegory involved because I think that connects with us on a human level. Right. You know this is why we tell stories. This is why Jesus used parables. Yep. Parables are allegorical. Hmm. Didn't even think of that. That's perfect. Yeah. Um. So, I sure you say Al Gore's every time you say it's allegorical. <laughs> it's like, an inconvenient word. He he did write a story. <laughs> I'm not gonna go there. I'm not going there. It might be <laughs> allegorical. What? Oh, am I just what? No, no, that's a fallacy. My bad. No, I'm nope. I'm not going there. Look at that self control that we're I don't just, have. We're just playing. Just poking me with a stick. We're anyway. Just uh, we're, we're saving that for care group this week. Zing. <laughs> uh, if you don't know what the meaning of that is, go and find the meaning of that. Uh, care groups meet on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Contact us for more information. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the, this concept of looking, but we, because we think of allegory as fiction, and we don't think of, gen- like, we, we don't, we don't look at Genesis and say, oh, fiction. Right, like that's not how I grew up in in the church, and I'm not saying that Genesis is fiction. Just to clarify for anybody who just like lost their mind, like what did Logan say? No, but Genesis does use allegory because these are stories that are told in Genesis, and that's just the literary style that it is. And there's these truths that are hidden down in the allegory. Right. So as you were saying, the surface level reading still true. And when we dig down past that surface level reading and start delving into some of these allegorical themes that come out, like, oh, man, the depth is crazy. It's almost like God had something to do with telling this story. Right. Like, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So that's the the concept of allegory um, 
don't freak out over this. It's not crazy. It's not saying like, ah, we don't believe any of this is actually true. That's not, couldn't be further from the truth. Well, Rabbi David Foreman asked the question, what kind of book is the Bible? Is it is it a cookbook? I answered that one. It's a religious genre. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> does it does it <clears throat> but is it just a religious book? Does it does it just communicate there, truth? Yeah. There I mean there's a whole there's a whole lot to it. There's a you whole know, lot to the Bible. And there are different parts of the book that we know are historical. I mean, Luke seems to be written in, in a more historical uh, outline than the other Gospels. Sure. Uh, the book of Acts seems to, you know, jot down history. Mm-hmm. The book of Jonah doesn't seem to be historical at all. He was a historical character. He was a historical character, but but there's parts of the story where like... Well, that doesn't line up. Well, that's that's odd. There's a giant fish, and he's surviving inside of it. Like details. Yeah, Job. That's another one. In fact, Esther. Heard a case made once that Esther wasn't actually a, a historical story. That that was a that was going to be a whole lot more of a just a tale. Um, I'm not saying I agree with that necessarily, but there are people that have made the case for that. Yeah. Um. You know, and you know, so the Book of Psalms. I mean, that's sure. a completely different genre than you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Song of Solomon. Uh, any of the prophetic writings, like or uh, apoco- uh, apocalyptical. Well, Those the prophetic are... writings. You know, they're there's so much hyperbole used. Sure. You know where? No, they never do that. You know, there's there's. <laughs> known as righteous there's not one no not one never you know and um you know and so Mm -hmm. you know these broad strokes in these big themes and when i mentioned uh maybe i'll link maybe i'll link the bible the bible project has two they they break down their their genesis into two different videos maybe three. Um, but it, it's pretty common knowledge that one through 11 chapters, one through 11 is a, a different genre. Like there's this genre shift hmm. be, from one to 11 and going forward from 12 to the end of the, the end of the book. Right. Um, and what's that genre shift? It goes from being like one through 11 is heavily poetic and allegorical. And then when you pick it up in 12, we're introduced to Abraham and it becomes much more historical. Like you're following, you zoom in on this one family and you're following this narrative of this family through their family line. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's a distinct shift and you'll feel it. If you're reading, if you're reading Genesis, it feels like an abrupt, almost Monty Python. And now for something completely different. Hmm. Or if you're watching, um, I got Lord of the Rings on the brain. I did a marathon this last weekend. So when you watch the Fellowship of the Ring and they do that intro scene where they're describing like the history of the ring through the ages, right? And Galadriel's like, and then the ring did this and there was this battle and you get all these like big montage scenes, right? And then all of a sudden it zooms in on... Music change. Music change and 
Frodo and Gandalf in the Shire. They're laughing. <laughs> you know, and it, and it zooms in and it slows down, right? <laughs> Completely different. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm stealing from VeggieTales, but... <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could have all witnessed that. His head was rolling around on his shoulders. I thought he was having a stroke. It's fine. Oh, man. Don't scare me like that, Rob. I can't be the lead pastor. No strokes for you. No strokes. Not even for the ancient of days. Oh, shoot. Zing. Anyway, so it goes through this genre shift, right? Um, which, like, if if you're reading it and you notice that there's this sudden change in tone almost... That should clue you in that there's definitely something different going on in 1 through 11. Um, so once again, this this might be different. This might be foreign to you. Maybe you've maybe you've heard this before. Uh, maybe you grew up in a church where this was not a thing. Maybe you grew up in a church where they just didn't. What What is Genesis? We, we talk about that every once in a while, but yeah. not very common. Um, once again, this is just giving us a little bit. We're looking to get a better perspective on Genesis. Um, and it's less of it, like, this is a, this is a journey that we want to go through together, not a, we're just going to tell you the way it is. Like we encourage you to wrestle through, research this stuff, dive in, ask the questions that maybe you haven't asked before. And put on the ears, try to, as best as you can, put on the ears that the original hearers had. Mm-hmm. So that you hear the intended message. Sure. You know, and I would also not only just putting on the ears of the original hearers, putting on a fresh set of ears for you as an original hearer. Like, it's not like God's going to not speak to you through this. Like if you're if you go into Genesis here and you're working through Genesis and you're like looking for God to come in and and meet you in this, it's gonna happen. Absolutely. It might happen even if you don't want him to. That might be the case for me. Genesis is wildly uncomfortable. He keeps teaching me truths I just don't want to know. <laughs> Which leads us to the authorship of of Genesis. We, sure. uh, you know, the question becomes, you know, is who is who's the <clears throat> author? And the traditional, uh, both Christian and Judaic traditional view on this is that it's Moses. Moses is the author that this was uh, mm-hmm. uh, brought to the people of Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai. So God communicates the message to Moses. Moses puts mm-hmm. it puts it down whether it's on uh, lamb skin or papyrus or on stone tablets or 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 just orally or yep or just says it and everybody keeps repeating it and they keep repeating it over and over and over again and this is the story of our people now uh, there's a book that I have uh, it's called essential Torah it's uh, by George Robinson um, he's a uh, He's um, a Jewish writer, and he talks about the fact that, um, first he talks about the fact that the, the traditional view that that the book comes 
was written by uh, Moses, was penned by Moses. But then even within Judaism, within the Judaic scholarship, uh, questions started to rise um, originally in the Talmudic period, but that was a very contentious period. This is when um, the Jews are in Babylon Mm-hmm. under Babylonian control and then under Roman control uh, a little later. But, you know, there's there's simple things like uh, in Numbers chapter 12, it says this, Now the man, Moshe, or Moses, was very humble, more than any other man on the face of the earth. And... Uh, I mean, I would write that if I was writing about myself. Not not typically something <clears throat> like we don't picture Jesus writing that about himself, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's there's those kinds of problems. Um there's uh there's language throughout the first five books of the Bible uh where where it says and at that time, which seems to indicate that it was written after the fact, not mm-hmm. during, um, and and I believe they're even referring to periods where uh, Moses should have been experiencing something, mm-hmm. but it's written f- from a post-experience perspective. There's repetition and there's inconsist- inconsistencies between the various uh, books on some things there's there's just some things that are uh that don't quite line up a little problematic from story to story uh and then there's some that look at um the different patriarchs and the way they were willing to sell off their or give away their their bride mm. to a king named Abimelech yeah uh you know so um, that could either just show a, um, that could be a title. Abimelech could be, you know, father king. Sure. You know, it could be just uh, just a title instead of using the the personal name. Um, regardless of 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 all that, um, regardless of where you land with with all that, um, well, and you had some inf- yeah, I mean, well, there's so my my own because I I dove down the rabbit hole on this one, um, and there was just a brief. There was the church tradition that Moses was credited authorship, and then at some point, I think you mentioned in the medieval period there was some people that brought up some questions or something, and they were afraid to because they get I don't know burned at the stake or something. But then I think it was also in the nineteenth slash twentieth century. The scholarship made this shift and decided that no, 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 Moses wasn't the author. And they, there was like, there's some, you can go dig into the all these ridiculous writings about, well, it was this P author and H author and, and this and, you know, this, that, and another thing. And then it shifted back again um, at some point and went back to, no, 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 Moses is given authorship. Um, Within and this seemed to be within the scholastic front. It was all very like n- no joke. This was like a muddy mess to wade through. 
um, which I was not necessarily like, that's not my favorite thing to like go try to like cite sources on papers and stuff. Like I'm much more, I want to just go figure it out on my own right? Um, and waiting through whatever thesis paper, you know, Billy Joe Bob at whatever Ozark college came up with that is like gouging my eye out with a dull spoon. So, uh, if that's your thing, like go, go chase that down and be well. Um, but if not, like there, there's just know that that was a thing that there's been scholarship debate over this. Um, but for me, logically the, you know, I, it comes kind of back to language and you mentioned this, you know, what were they writing it down on? Um, well, so at that time period of Moses, there was, uh, we mentioned animal skins. There was papyrus, like they're coming out of Egypt, Egypt developed writing. Um, it's one of the earliest. There was, uh, one earlier was, uh, Sumeria. I think that's credited as being the earliest written language was Sumeria. Um, did I call that Sanskrit? I think they call that Sanskrit. I think you're correct. Um, you'd have to double check me, but I'm like moderately sure that was Sanskrit. Uh, so the but they were engraving that on clay tablets. Uh, the papyrus you'd see, you know, the like in Egypt. You think of the cartouches that they write on, you know, and engrave this. There was papyrus. There was uh, animal skins, and but the main one, like the main one, would have been oral tradition. Um, you would have just passed things down orally. Uh, it would have been rare to write things down. Things that were written down would have been cherished very highly. Well, we know we got the two tablets. Mm-hmm. So we, we're confident that Moses came down with two tablets. Moses, as you pointed out in a conversation beforehand, grew up in the court, Pharaoh's yeah. court. And so he would have... He would have been educated in writing in Egyptian. Yeah. And so if he wrote, it probably would have been... In Probably Egyptian would have been in text, Egyptian, yep. Um, this were and we're, Moses was around about from thirteen hundred to twelve hundred uh, BCE uh, before Common Era. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some that believe that Ezra, which he was around about four hundred and fifty BCE, um, would have potentially. Uh, we've taken the different texts and and maybe have translated it, um, maybe consolidated the different writings. <clears throat> what we know for sure is that the that the manuscripts that we have today are not the manuscript were not written by Mo- by Moses yeah, or, no. or or even that language didn't even exist at that point. Uh, one of the things I was reading, well, probably. I'll put a probably probably didn't exist at that point. Um, the there was a uh, Canaanite languages that had developed, uh, and speaking written written languages here, uh, Canaanite had written there, and then at some point, probably around one thousand BCE, so after Moses, probably about because we thirteen to twelve hundred BCE, sure, couple, couple hundred years after him, uh, they think Hebrew branched off from the other Canaanite languages. Um, now once again, you're, you're doing a lot like this is, this is tough history to, to wade through. Um, and you got to take all of this with a grain of salt. We're learning new stuff every day. It's always like, this is the truth. This is a truth unfolding. And then we learn and we're like, oh, well, 
now we got a better picture of that. Or and this is one of those where sometimes we might just be wrong. Like it could happen. But uh it's wildly unlikely that the manuscripts that we're getting from we're getting our, our Genesis translations from would have been the exact same as what Moses got. Now the oral tradition I personally believe God just protected his word. Like, it's the word of God. It's inspired. It's divine. This is the word of God. And through the generations, that oral tradition got passed down, and then it got recorded whenever it got recorded, and it ended up in my Bible on my desk. And that's cool for me. Yeah, you know, I find it interesting. Like, you go to England— Mm-hmm. And how many, Great Britain, how many different languages exist on that small island? Mm-hmm. And and so you go to Israel and you've got, first of all, Israel is is a pathway to, for, for many nations, uh, you would have to know Egyptian. Sure. You know, at the time of... Abraham and in time of Moses, I'm like you would have to know Egyptian. Like that's just yeah. uh that's where you went. You know, the Nile was the one place in the region that always produced food it, year yep. after year, it didn't matter. And so from a trade standpoint, you'd have to know Egyptian and, and keep in mind there these these languages are all gonna be very similar. They're because they're they're developing out of same kind of like like I said the Canaanite languages Hebrew develops out of these Canaanites so you got Aramaic all of these different languages that slowly branch off so you know it's not it's not like uh, there's gonna me be di- trying to learn Mandarin it's gonna be there's gonna be dialects yeah uh, you yeah know, there's gonna be shifts based off of uh, tribes and location mm-hmm. and and yep. in, and influenced by other cultures and. And borrowed, borrowed words and borrowed language, and for sure. And so, what's interesting is that we're just gonna pull out the Jesus card. <laughs> I love that we're doing this. Uh, seven times in Matthew, Jesus refers to Moses. Eight times in Mark. Ten times in Luke. Twelve times in John. Now, some of these are repetitions. You know, the same story being told four different ways. Yeah, but. Over and over and over again, Jesus speaks of Moses as though it's it's authoritative. And so, like that, I mean, that's that's ultimately where, like, this is the word of God, and Jesus says Moses gave it to him. Yeah. All right, works for me. Seventy nine times in the New Testament. I'm not going to argue with Jesus. Call me crazy. Yeah. So 37 times in the gospel, but 79 times in the New Testament. Like everyone associated with this ministry from its start trusted that the yeah. words that we find, we could lean on, we could depend on, we could shape our lives by them. So the, the whole reason to evaluate this in my mind was understanding the context of the first listeners. Like we're, we're, we're looking at Genesis through the context of the Israelites at Sinai. Um, and as I was, I was like, okay, do I actually want to teach that? Cause well, what if they, what if they knew these stories earlier? Like what, it, you know, why wouldn't they know them? And I, I think that through wrestling with all of this stuff, um, 
Like, even if it is just him clarifying and saying like, nope, you might have heard this story passed down, but it got all muddied up through Egypt or through the years or whatever, and God's clarifying it, or whether this is literally just the first time they're hearing it, this is still like, that's a safe, that's a safe thing to be like, nope, this is, they're hearing this, God is meeting them, you know, God, they're getting to know their groom. Absolutely. Um, so that's, that's good stuff there. And I still believe that even today, this is how we get to know. This is how we hear hear the voice of God is through through scriptures. Oh, sure. Very much so. And I, you know, I I'm a little partial. You know, when I started going into Genesis and digging in and ha- hearing people teach in this teach this stuff that we're we're regurgitating because you know we're not coming up with this on our own. Um, I mean, you're smart, Rob, and I'm a genius, but we're not coming up with this on our own. No, like let's let's be <laughs> honest. <laughs> no, uh, we're no. we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Well, uh, we're, we're standing on the shoulders of other people who are probably standing on the shoulders yeah. of giants. But nonetheless, uh, you know, this is this is it, it is really opened up, and I, I, you know, I've definitely grown in my understanding of who God is through all of this. Uh, it was a uh, pretty key in defining you know where uh where my understanding of god is at this point uh so that's good stuff i mentioned the groom thing uh and we wanted to we wanted to talk a little bit about the jewish wedding imagery uh we vaguely remember talking about this i know we've talked about this but we've talked we like i just don't remember when um I went back and looked on previous episodes and I either didn't write it down or whatever. So it's in there somewhere, but we figured what the heck, let's talk about it a little bit more. Um, so Sinai is this, this Jewish wedding imagery. Um, so we should probably understand a Jewish wedding in that context then. Uh, so from the, the way this starts would be the, the families. The, de- the patriarchs of the families would arrange for a marriage from, you know, uh, the son to son to daughter, right? This is like <laughs> Jacob going and looking for a wife at a well, and then they barter with some goats. That was my favorite. Yeah, oh, yeah, trading some goats and you some chickens. Got to trade some goats and some chickens. <laughs> and, uh, or uh, with Jacob shows up with like a bunch of, or the servant shows up with a bunch of uh, camels, right? Like, this is, this is a big wedding offer, if I remember right. Mm. Um. Like you got camels and all sorts of shenanigans. Like you, man, that guy's a catch. About, I think huh? you're thinking about for Isaac. Oh, was it Isaac? Uh, I might get, be getting him. Yeah, J- Jacob just runs off and like goes and works for seven years. That's yeah, right. yeah, Isaac. Yeah. There you go. Oh, we're not there in Genesis yet. Like we'll get there. We'll get there. It's all muddled up in my brain. It's fine. Uh, there's th- goats, chickens, camels, whatever. So there's some trading involved. Uh, they line this up. And then I know this is the part that we talked about. I think it was the be prepared because you're going to prepare a place. Right. This is where we talked about it during it was, Advent. It was during Advent. Um, so the the father and the son would go off and the son would go prepare the house. Yes. Right. He'd be, He'd prepare a place to live for his bride whenever he would come back and... And get her. Yep. Um, so he'd go prepare this place, which we then get the Jesus imagery of I'm going to prepare a place, my father's house. 
Um, yep, there are so many then, rooms. Say what? There are many rooms. Yep, yep. So then at some point, they come back. Uh, they get this wedding rolling, and uh, they they set up this, they do this marriage covenant, right? Um, which we, I mean, that's still what a wedding, we just did Josh and Shanoa's wedding, uh, you know, was that like a week ago now? Yeah. I've survived a week of marriage. My goodness. Good job, guys. Where'd you uh, go? Jeez. <laughs> Knew you had it in there. Knew you had it. Oh, Joe, my. Uh, so, like, it's it's forming a covenant. Like, this is, even in our marriage ceremonies today, this is the, we're saying vows. We're saying, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. We're witnessing this before God, right? Um, yep. And so what we see in, uh, with with God at Sinai is he's, they're setting up these vows. He's saying, like, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. Like, these are the expectations. Uh, we see this with the law. Yeah, because with the... Uh Again, with this groom and this bride, the bride has no idea what the groom values. And so there would be this document that would express these are the things that our family's going to value as the Ten Commandments. And uh, what's interesting is um, the first time the Ten Commandments are presented— the word commandment's not used. Later, I, I think it's in Numbers recounts, you know, the uh, the commandments. At that point, it's called commandments. But it, at the first presentation, they're not even called commandments. They're just, here Israel, I'm the Lord, your God. You know, this is who I am. This is who I am. Yep. You should put no other gods before me. You know, so the first time that gets presented, it's just these are who I am and this is what I value. And this is why I'm inviting you into value as well. And it's very yep. much about relationship. Very much so. Uh, with a Jewish wedding, you have a hoopah, which has this covering and this veil. And the bride and groom stand underneath the hoopah at Mount Sinai you get the cloud of smoke that descends mm-hmm. onto the mountain and so provides this hoopa-like environment. So which came first, the hoopa or the clouds? Is the hoopa to remind us of the clouds? Oh, I I think they... Or is this, was this, I, I like I just literally thought of this, popped into my brain, like... Is the is God meeting them and using wedding imagery that they're going to already be familiar with, or is this where the Jewish wedding imagery comes from? Um, I imagine that some of it they were already familiar with, and some of it they were like, you know, what we really need, oh. we need a hoopah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, I mean, this is what thirty five hundred years ago, thirty three hundred years ago. Yeah, at least. So I, you know, I don't know. It's been a minute. Been you, it was before your time. Hot minute. <sighs> it was before your time. I'm gonna have to go ask Charlie. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Where's Dave when you need him? Anyway, uh, yeah. So wedding imagery going on there, and then I mentioned in the sermon. Uh, then they go into uh the wilderness, and this is like a honeymoon period. Um. 
someday we'll get around to talking about Exodus. We'll do a series on Exodus, I don't know, in 2015. Yeah, we, uh, from a Christian perspective, we we talk about the wandering in the wilderness as this bad thing. Sure. For the Jews, they don't see it as a, they don't see it negatively. I mean, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think, you know, Christian culture, we get hung up on our mistakes in ways that I don't think the Jews do. Mm. You know, yes, mistakes were made. You move on, and and I think, I think in terms of there's some there's some football teams that do a better job of kind of forgetting. You forget your losses. You for, forget your losses. You know, and you and, just and move you, on. Yep. You just move on. You know, defensive backs will say you have to be. You have to have a short memory, like you you can't sure. remember the fact that the guy just got a touchdown because because the next pass play could be a pick six. Yep, yep. That I mean that reminds me. My dad, when I was back in the day, when I was playing tennis. I was playing in tournaments, and my dad was coaching me. It was one point at a time. You don't think about the point you just played. You think about the point you're about to play. Right. Like it's it's that's you focus yeah. on you focus on that one point at a time. It's, and you move forward. It's so easy the, the morning Monday morning quarterback and go, man, Israel, you you didn't get it. Yep. Uh, one of the things that we will say throughout this series is it's easy to get, it's easier to get Israel out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of Israel. Yep. Which ties us back to kind of how they view the uh, wandering in the wilderness, like this honeymoon period. God's working to get Egypt out of, I think I mentioned that in the sermon a little bit, but like, this is the concept of you got to get Egypt out of, out of you. Cause you've picked up, you've picked up this culture that God didn't want in them. You know, there's things I, I realized one day when I was in my mid thirties that some decisions I had made in, in high school were still haunting me. And I'm like, that was, that was half a lifetime ago. Like I was, sure, I was in my late thirties, you know, and going. I was, I've lived twice as long as as I was at that point. When am I gonna just let that go and mm-hmm. and go? Yep, I'm not gonna be that way anymore. I'm not gonna make those kinds of decisions. Sure, but I'm also not gonna let that haunt me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to let that define me. And so, um, when I realized when I heard that the Jews pictured Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments as as a their wedding gift, like this is God saying, "I'm inviting you into something amazing, and you get to be a part of this relationship." Mm-hmm. And that was their wedding day. And then in the desert was their, you know, now. Were their mistakes made? Yes. For sure. But there's three mistakes that were made throughout the 40-year period. That ain't that bad. And It's better than I would have done. <laughs> and we get stuck on 40 years because it sounds like a long time. And uh, for Logan, it still is a long time. Very long time. Um, can't even imagine that long of a time. 
which is kind of a long time for me. But you know, we get stuck on the the quantity. Mm-hmm. They don't hear quantity; they, they hear quality. They 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 picture it's a, there's emotional attachment mm-hmm. to what what that means, and sure. And so, yeah, good it, stuff. It's a different picture when you realize that 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 when they consider that their honeymoon and and they they live as if. That was their experience, not their ancestors' experience, but their experience that God chose to wed me mm-hmm. and chose to take me into the desert to where I could know what it meant to be in relationship with him hmm. and own that. That's I, good stuff. I think in terms of like I I used to have access to some numbers of of how many percentage wise how many Jews are in prison versus other populations hmm. and the number is extremely small hmm. um and how many succeed in, you know in in all these different professions and you know like and the number is extremely large like percentage wise percentage wise yeah you know and so they're disproportionately successful disproportionately successful disproportionately uh less inclined to uh commit crime like like why is that Mm -hmm. and maybe when we actually let god speak to us about who we are it makes a difference Makes a difference in your in your generations. Makes a difference in the way you choose to live. I like it. I like it. It's good stuff. So yeah, that, I mean, that's not probably going to be earth shatteringly like, oh man, my mind is blown, and now I'll never read Genesis the same. <laughs> but I mean, maybe it is. Maybe maybe we just blew some people's minds. I I, I doubt it though. Uh, but this little, just a little subtle shift. Right. And it gives us just a, a little shift here and a little shift there. And pretty soon we're opening up some new new ways of seeing Genesis in a new light um, that gives us a better understanding of, of who God is ultimately. Yeah. So yeah. Hopefully hopefully this is some uh, this is good stuff for you. But uh, we will be diving into Genesis chapter one this week. Yeah. Join Bob's, us Sunday, Bob's gonna 10.30. rip into creation. We're going to make the whole world. The whole world's going to be covered. Nice. It'll be great. It'll be good. So, yeah. We'll and see you then. it'll be very good. Ooh, very good. What? That's a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Something about a toad? Mayo. I don't know. Anyway, we'll uh, catch you on the flip side. Peace. You've been listening to Footnotes on the Mission Ridge Podcast. For more information about Mission Ridge please visit our website at missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. We hope the rest of your week is straight up hashtag blessed and that you'll join us again next week for more footnotes.